Welcome to Girl at the Game, the podcast by women for everyone in partnership with CLNS Media. We're your hosts, Gabrielle, founder of Girl at the Game, and Al of Nesson. Hey guys, we don't have a normal show for you guys today. Tons of NBA news. Uh, they have a format for a return. The WNBA is in talks of doing the same thing, but it doesn't feel right to rant about how Major League Baseball is ruining itself. There are so many more important things that we have to talk about. And we have an incredible interview later in the show as well. But this episode is about racism, peaceful protests, problems that have been going on in this country since before this country was even founded. It is uncomfortable stuff and it's difficult stuff. And as two white women, we know that it's not really our place to talk about a lot of this stuff, which is why we have a guest who's going to talk to us about it. But we also felt like it was important to talk about the ways that we're educating ourselves and some things that we've learned over the last week. It's been really eye-opening learning the things that we've learned this week. And it's been really hard to watch a lot of the things that are happening in this country. But this country can't stay the way that it's been. We need every person in this country needs to feel safe and accepted and loved. We can't, if we talk about wanting sports to be a safe place for everybody, we're hypocrites if we don't talk about the world needing to be a safe space for everybody. Right. And things have been said about the murder of George Floyd at the hands of a Minneapolis or at the knee of a Minneapolis police officer. Um, Things have been said much more eloquently than the words we could even construct. I would like us to talk about some of the things that we've learned over the last week because I've learned so much. I'm not going to make this about being Jewish. This isn't about anti-Semitism or Judaism, but somebody that I really admire wrote a nice thing on Instagram just talking as a Jewish person about all of this and said, I'm writing this only a short distance from the Reichstag building where Hitler first spoke of his plan for the annihilation of the Jewish race in Europe. In the following years, the world watched as 6 million Jews were murdered in a barbaric effort to restore racial purity across the continent. In the last few days of reading and reflection, I learned how Hitler looked to the Jim Crow laws in the United States and other legal codes based on white supremacy as inspiration for the first anti-Jewish laws implemented in Germany to designate my people as subhuman. I am not trying to plug the Jewish plight into the current narrative for black lives. This isn't our struggle, but one we must fight in because we too were once desperate for active allies and still depend on them today. That really just stuck with me because... It's true. And at the end of the day, what I keep coming back to is that all human beings underneath the color of our skin, eyes, hair, the way we look, we all have blood and bones and hearts and brains. And that's what we all need to remember. Yeah, it's really sad to see for whatever reason that people have turned this into a political issue when it's a human rights issue. It's not right or left. It's just people should be outraged at the loss of life at the hands of our government. And specifically right now, we're talking about Black lives. Innocent Black lives. And that shouldn't be something that divides you. But like I said, there are people who have said things so much more eloquently about these social justice issues. I grew up in a pretty small suburb of Springfield, Mass. So very high African-American population. And my hometown in high school offered a pretty different experience than the city it bordered, you know. 
like Christian Wilkins of the Miami Dolphins via Clemson is from Springfield. And throughout the course of this entire week, I've thought back about Christian because when he was young and in school, he lived with his grandfather for a while in Framingham, Massachusetts. And the Framingham SWAT team just bombarded his grandfather's house one day and mistakenly killed him right there and on his own property in his own home. Oh my God. And that's something Christian Wilkins has had to live with. And in spite of all things, grew up to be just this incredible young man. But he spoke out the other day and it's well worth your time to seek it out on Instagram because I don't know of an athlete that it hits as close to home. There's men like that in the NFL. And that's also why like for Drew Brees then to come out the other day and take it back to the 2016 protests and talk about how he doesn't agree with that. It's just like Drew Brees, read the room. Like I really respected you. And it's just how tone deaf could you be? Somebody said he donated $5 million to COVID relief. And I replied, being charitable is incredible. It doesn't buy you a free pass to say whatever you want, especially when what you're saying is factually untrue. Moment of super honesty here, because I got called out for this on Twitter. And I don't agree with digging up people's past tweets from years ago to attack them with it when they're clearly not that person anymore. But when Callum Kaepernick was kneeling at the time, I was dating a guy who I didn't know happened to be a Trump supporter. I knew that he had more conservative views than me, but I didn't know that he was going to vote for Trump. And when he told me that, I ended up breaking up with him because I was like, I can't date a guy who supports this presidential candidate. And we've joked about this before, but now it's more serious. Like, I don't follow football, really. I didn't follow it at all in 2016. Like, I've never been a football fan. And so I had no idea what was going on because I was in like my own little world, like most of us are when it's something we're not a fan of or we don't like. Like I didn't watch football. So when I started seeing people talking about Colin Kaepernick kneeling, like on social media and stuff in the news, I asked my boyfriend because I was like, we're dating. He's a huge football fan. I would like to know what's going on. And so I got bad information as a lot of us do when we ask a person that we trust instead of just like looking it up for ourselves. He said that Colin Kaepernick was kneeling because he was disrespecting the flag of America and being naive and not really focusing on it. I believed him. So at the time, that's what I thought. And then when I found out that I was wrong, I was so ashamed. And I became a huge supporter of what Colin Kaepernick was doing because you know what? I have family members that have served this country in the military. My cousin Mark died in Iraq. He was the first Jewish serviceman to die in Iraq. You're not disrespecting them because they're fighting for all Americans. He was protesting police brutality. And for somebody to say four plus years later that that's what Colin Kaepernick was doing when it's not, like for Drew Brees to say, I will never respect anybody who disrespects the flag or this country. It's like you're disrespecting what this country should be about and what this country was supposed to be about by saying that. That's so annoying to me. Like it's Drew Brees. This is not some alt-right that doesn't get that Colin Kaepernick's protesting by kneeling was never about the flag or the anthem. Like you said, it was about police brutality. Colin Kaepernick has literally said that. And it's like someone tells you a million times, I'm doing this for this reason. And you say to them, no, you're doing it for this reason. You don't get to tell them why they're doing it. 
so many people don't realize Cap was just going to sit on the bench and like not do anything and just not stand for the flag at all. Like do no demonstration. Like the demonstration was just going to be him sitting on the bench. It was a green beret, Nate Boyer, who played for the Seattle Seahawks that had a conversation with Colin Kaepernick about the protests because Kaepernick sought out his advice for how to go about it. And it was the Green Beret that recommended kneeling for the flag because it was a literal sign of respect to fallen service members. So it's literally people took the exact opposite of what he was trying to do. Also, Nate Boyer is white. Yeah, that's why it's so disappointing for Drew Brees to not understand that. You are a future Hall of Fame quarterback, and the way you lead the the diverse locker room that every NFL team has is by not even understanding what they're actually fighting for. You had four years to have these conversations with your teammates. Or even just to like listen to Colin Kaepernick saying over and over, this is why I'm doing it. How many times does he have to say why he was doing something? If you're taking offense to it, for something else that's inside you. Drew Brees being incensed by what Colin Kaepernick was doing speaks to what's inside Drew Brees' heart and that that's his priority more than listening to what Colin Kaepernick was saying he was doing and the reason he was doing it. And that's the thing is, yeah, Drew Brees, both of his grandfathers served in World War II. When he looks up at the flag or hears the national anthem before he goes out and takes the field, I'm sure he gets a very patriotic, prideful feeling. And I think what this week, if anything, I mean, it should have happened four years ago when Cap was doing this, but I think people are finally starting to realize that not everyone has to have those feelings when you look up at the flag. And I think Adrian Foster really articulated this best. If you didn't hear his interview on Pardon My Take on Monday's episode, seek it out. It it really says everything that needs to be said listening to him will really give you some perspective. I think like one of the biggest things that we're supposed to be doing right now is listening. And to that end, I want to just quickly touch on a few things that we learned this week because we made a list. Hopefully it helps some people who are also trying to learn right now. And then we are going to play this interview for you guys. This interview is really special. It kind of came about in an interesting way because Celtics superstar Jalen Brown used social media in the best way possible. He used social media to organize a peaceful protest. He drove 15 hours from Boston Boston. to Atlanta to ensure that he could lead a positive and peaceful discourse during this protest. And that just speaks volumes to like how much he cares about these issues and his native Georgia and the Atlanta area. These incredible photos of Jalen at the march, he shared them on his social media and they were kind of going viral. So I reached out to one of the photographers just on a whim being like, I I really, your photos were incredible. I would love to chat with you about them. His name is Komet Alston. And it turns out that he is the grandson of a famous civil rights leader Andrew Young, close co-worker and friend of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and he went on to become a congressman for Georgia, the United States ambassador to the UN, and a multiple-term mayor of the city of Atlanta. I had no idea about that when I reached out to him. It just turned out to be an incredible 
coincidence. And you'll hear his interview a little bit later in the episode. But I think to go back to what we've learned a little bit, one of the biggest things I think for me, definitely, and for a lot of people is we don't speak out because we're worried that we're going to say the wrong thing. And because a lot of the times people do say the wrong thing, even with good intentions, this has happened to me so many times, you say the wrong thing when you have a good intention. And the way that social media and cancel culture works, you get absolutely raked over the coals for it. And it is a huge deterrent for people who want to help, want to support, want to be an ally. But we don't know if we're going to say the right thing. We don't know the right thing to say. And one of the things that I've heard so much this week is it's okay to be vulnerable and honest about A, the fact that we don't always know the right thing to say, and B, that we're probably going to say the wrong thing at least once, but that's part of this process. One of the educational materials that I was reading, and I shared it in my Instagram story, it talked about shame, the shame of realizing white privilege and racism in society. And it said that shame is paralyzing, but that ends up being counterproductive. And the quote was, remember, you were brought up in a racist world that thrives on a lack of compassion. You are deserving of compassion because we're all deserving. We need to treat ourselves with compassion so that we can move towards action. Basically talking about that when you let yourself get swallowed up in the shame of realizing like the foundation of like your life as a white person, you end up not doing anything about it, which prevents change. Like right now, we all, like with everything going on in the world right now, a lot of people are just forgetting that we're living in a global pandemic. We're not supposed to be around other people. We're supposed to be social distancing. And so my situation, having immunocompromised family members, I can't go to a protest. And I felt guilt about that this week because in normal times, like I was at women's marches a few years ago. I would be at these protests, but I can't be. And instead of beating myself up for that, we need to remember that small actions and things we can do at home are just as necessary and important as big actions. So if you can't protest, you can sign petitions, you can donate money, you can educate family members and have difficult conversations with people who don't agree with you and try to help them understand. You can make calls and emails to elected officials in local and national offices, and you can support businesses owned by people of color. It's not a one-lane highway. There are so many ways that you can help make a difference if you can't protest. I've spent my week donating money, signing petitions, reading, listening to podcasts, ordering books, because those are the things that I can do. Instead of focusing on the things that you can't do, focus on the things that you can do. And I do want to say also, like, I think it needs to go beyond posting something on social media and make everyone making a statement. And it's, I mean, the charities absolutely deserve the money, but like it needs to be more than just throwing money at the problem. You know what I mean? Like a bunch of white people on Instagram, like, oh, this is how much I donated. Like, what are you doing in your actual everyday life? Because we all have something, no matter what job we do, what hobbies we have, there's things we can do in our daily routines to affect positive change. And no matter think, how big or small your platform is. Yeah. And I've kind of looked at myself and how I can do that. And I think about the foundation of my job, or at least what I aspire to do, like the ideals of journalism, right? Um, and it's to tell stories that bring different people and perspectives together. 
and to hold companies, organizations, and the government accountable. And perhaps most importantly, to give people the information they need about our society in order to help them make an informed decision. And I'm really fortunate to get to do that through the lens of sports, one of the most diverse products the world has to offer, right? So like I said, I'm from right outside of Springfield. And after graduation from college, one of my first jobs was covering high school sports and getting to tell stories similar to Christian Wilkins. Sharing these stories of the people that have different perspectives than us is just, it's so enlightening, you know, and it's like athletes and sports are just one of the best vehicles, I think, for talking about these issues and making people care about them. Absolutely. And like I said, everybody has a different role to play. I think that another thing that's really important is remembering that people can change. I see this so much online. People want to dig up old tweets. They want to cancel people. If you see that somebody tweeted something stupid like five, 10 years ago, but they're clearly not that person anymore, you want people to change, but you don't allow for the possibility that they have changed, that they become a better person. It's not productive to be canceling people for who they were as opposed to, A, using your own time in your own life to make this world a better place, and B, allowing for the possibility that maybe somebody else wants to be a better person and is using their time now in the present to make this world better for the future. Somebody tweeted something like, normalize changing your opinion when you learn new information. Anyway, the last thing that we want to talk about before we play this interview for you is today is Brianna Taylor's birthday. If you don't know who she was, she was a black woman who was murdered by the police in her own home. It is such a messed up story. It's the kind of thing where it really makes you realize how twisted and messed up America's police system is, like legal system is, that this happened because Breonna Taylor was asleep in her own home and the police were attempting to complete a drug sting two months ago. They broke down the door to her apartment and shot her eight times. She was murdered. And the, the thing that is so awful, even more awful about this, first of all, is that she was a EMT. She was on the front lines of COVID-19, saving people's lives. And not only that, but the man involved in the drug ring that they were looking for had already been arrested earlier that day and was in police custody. So they murdered her for no reason. In and absolute it had nothing to do with her to begin with. It was, yeah, it's like what happened to Christian Wilkins' grandfather in his home, own home just years later and months ago with the African-American man in his own home that was killed by a drunk white police officer that stumbled into the wrong house. You're like, it's just, this is a pattern and we need to break it. Somebody made a, a beautiful website with all of the ways that you can help with Brianna Taylor's case, which has officially been reopened as of yesterday. The link to help is in the episode description for today's episode. 
you can sign petitions, you can send emails. There are a lot of things that you can do, and we hope that you will do them with us. I celebrated my birthday yesterday, and I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that this beautiful young woman who was trying to save people's lives was brutally murdered and wouldn't get to celebrate hers today. So this episode is dedicated to Brianna Taylor. That might sound hollow or not enough. I feel like basically nothing we ever say is going to be enough because there aren't any words that can make this better coming from us. But we want, we just want to help. We want to do everything we can. And that's why this episode is the way that it is today. And with that, we're going to play this interview for you with the wonderful Komet Alston, who really opened up to us about his experience. And we were so honored to pass the microphone to him. All right, we now welcome on Komet Alston. Komet, you were down in Atlanta in the last few days, and you happened to photograph the peaceful protest that was led by Boston Celtic Jalen Brown. We would love to talk to you about how you got involved with that. If you guys haven't seen the photographs that he took, they were really powerful images of this protest. So for me, it was it was random. A friend of mine reached out to me and said, do you want to go to a protest today? You know, I said, sure. I've been wanting to go to a few, and there was one before that action that I had missed. So I'm like, you know what? I'll go, you know, send me the details. He found out through Twitter. So lately, you know, Twitter's been that place, that place you go to to find the news, to find the protest, to find people who want to make a stand. And so, you know, I saw it said, you know, um, Jalen Brown, and he said, you know, I want this to be a peaceful protest. And for me, that's that's what I want to be a part of. I understand everything that's going on, but in my opinion, there's, there's, there's different ways to go about it. And, you know, if you can, you can be a part of something that's peaceful, but still, you know, speak the truth, speak your mind, speak how you feel, you know, that's what I'm all about. So, yeah, so I saw it, and I decided to go, and that's how I found out about it through Twitter. I found out about it the same way as you, however, up in Boston. I'm interested to hear from your perspective because all I saw was limited Instagram lives and video. So your perspective on the kinds of things he was saying and the way in which he was leading this protest. Were you a Jalen Brown fan? What did you think of him kind of prior to this? Because I know he's an Atlanta area native. Correct. Honestly, uh, I didn't know he was from Atlanta. I kind of found that out, you know, that day. I do follow, you know, um, Fort. I, I love Fort, but, you know, I don't necessarily follow him specifically. But when I saw that, you know, he was doing this, I said, you know what, that's powerful because we need our young people. We need our people who have, who have that platform to come out and speak. And this generation, there aren't there aren't people like we had, you know, in the civil rights movement. We don't have these Martin Luther Kings. We don't have these Andrew Young. We don't have these Rosa Parks. We don't, we don't have these people. And so who are these people that have a platform that are willing to say something? Because we all know that just because you have a platform doesn't mean you should say something because you might not say the right thing. So for him, the things that he was saying, one of the biggest things I took away was, look, 
I'm 23. I'm just like you guys. Don't look at me any different. I drove 15 hours to be here because I care. Not because of, you know, well, I'm this person and I can, you know, I'm a celebrity, I'm this, that, and that. Look, I am 23. I'm young like you guys. You know, I understand what you guys are fighting for. Don't look at me any different. And the biggest thing, you know, I want this to be a peaceful protest. Speak your truth. Speak what's on your mind. Let's do this the right way. And that's what he was preaching the whole time. And as we were walking, you know, it was different chants, you know, like you hear, you know, in any protest. But, you know, there weren't anybody leading. There wasn't anybody, you know, trying to say, you know what, let's go and let's, let's go mess with these people. Let's go do this. And I think I like the fact, too, that instead of starting at CNN, like we were supposed to, we started at, you know, MLK Memorial. And so that whole district, that whole area that we were in, marching towards the Capitol, you know, was black-owned. It was a whole street, black-owned. Stores there, black bars, or whatever you call it, you know, it's a black-owned area. So, you know, of course, we're, we're not trying to, we don't, we, we don't want to mess our own spaces up. But even outside of that, like, just having people who appreciated the fact that, look, this is peaceful, None of us want, you know, anything wrong to go on. I, I thought that was great, and I thought that was something that I was proud to be a part of. Yeah, that's really incredible. What stood out to me the most was, like you said, Jalen took the initiative to drive 15 hours from Boston to Atlanta. I've never really been to Atlanta beyond a few hours on a few layovers. But, mm-hmm. I mean, what everyone knows about it is it, it's a champion city of Black culture and African-American culture. So the fact that he would feel so compelled to drive down and make sure that protests were done peacefully and try to at least have some part in making sure of that, be a leader for that peace. Right. I I, I so agree. And, you know, also, too, the fact that he let everybody know, like, look, this is also my town. I'm from here. You know, I'm not just saying, look, Atlanta's a hot place to be. Let me come and be here because I can bring a few people who can get me out. You know, into the news or this kind of third. No, like, look, I'm from here, and I know for a fact that I care enough about what's going on, and I want to do it in my own soil. Because he could have just, he could have put together, you know, could have put together a protest, you know, in Boston, and you know, left it at that, and done the same thing. You know, making a peaceful protest, you know, and doing it in Boston. But he said, no, like, I care so much for what's going on, and I care so much for what I see in my city of Atlanta that I have to be here. I see the hurt that I've never seen in Atlanta. You know, we see all these things that happen, you know, in other cities, which is, it, it, it's awful, it's terrible, you know, what's going on, it, it, it's hard to deal with. But I'm 29, so in the last 29 years, what I've seen in the last couple of days in Atlanta, I've never seen. I've seen it on TV, but to know that this is your hometown, to know that, like, wow, this is really happening in my city, in my town where I live, where I'm from. So I feel like, you know, that right there something in him and said, look, this whole thing is powerful, but for me to feel like I'm doing something, I have to take it back to my hometown. I have to take it back to where I was raised, to where I became the the man that I am today. And I have to let people know that, look, our voices need to be heard. I'm with you, and I want to come back to my city to show you how serious I am and how much I care. Yeah, that's really incredible. Before we started recording, you were talking about how the media is portraying these peaceful protests and these protests in general, because some of them have become not so peaceful. I'm curious what your experience at the protest was like compared to how the media has been portraying it, because I think 
people aren't asking enough of the people who are actually there protesting what their experience was. And they're just listening and looking at how it's being portrayed online and in the news. And I think that's a big problem. Right. I agree. For me, as far as what, you know, on TV, I mean, we forget that a lot of these do start, you know, as people protest. We miss that part because the media and the news are so engaged on the action of, like, tearing down stuff or this. They're so drawn into it because at the end of the day, with, with news, it's unfortunate, but it's about ratings. You know, it's about keeping up, you know, with the ratings. It's about how do we keep, you know, our people engaged and how do we keep, you know, these stations going. And, you know, drama, unfortunately, is what keeps me going. So I can go back to the first day that we had here, you know, in Atlanta, Friday. A lot of people don't realize that outside of CNN over at Centennial Park, there was a whole other protest that actually the city of Atlanta knew about. You know, and it was very peaceful. It was from Centennial to the Capitol, and it went great. I wish I would have, I would have been a part of it, but it was beautiful. You know, I had a friend that went and did in one of the parks. He said it was great. But then on the way back, that's when, you know, other people started coming. Other people started, you know, going towards CNN. And so even when there's this powerful thing going on over Centennial where there's people speaking, people trying to figure out how do we make change, what are the next steps, the news can't do anything but go over here because this is the hot topic. This is, this is unfortunate what people want to see. So for me, being able to use, you know, my camera to showcase that, look, there are people protesting, there are people that do care, that do want to see change and want to see change the right way. And it, it, it just goes back to the media having to, you know, having the time to speak to these people. You know, they're so busy on, you know, just speaking to the people who are in that fight, you know, of the so-called, you know, negativity, you know, and things that we see so much. So for me, being a part of what Jalen did and being able to show powerful photos outside of police brutality, without outside of, you know, police having to throw tear gas and do this, you know, I think that's powerful because you can have powerful moments that don't necessarily mean heavy artillery or need fighting or need people yelling or, or people not necessarily yelling because yelling is okay, but we're having this heavy confrontation between people and police. You know, you don't necessarily need that to showcase how strong and how powerful, you know, protests are. And there's tons and tons of positivity in what people are doing, you know, on these front lines and what people are doing, you know, as people trying to make change through the protests. So to go off what you just said, after the protests, Jalen Brown was tweeting that three people had been wrongfully arrested and he was looking to get their information, presumably to help them out if they needed bail or anything. But he was kind of vague about where that all went down. So I'm wondering if you were able to see any of that or if that happened with the protest that was being led by Jalen. So I, um, before it ended, I mean, I was pretty much there the whole time, but then I kind of dipped off for, you know, the whole curfew thing. But I, I, I will say this, I, as we were walking, you know, we did have a moment where we, where we did stop. And, you know, it was like almost like half, half the people were in one, one area, and the other half, you know, were backed up, and it turns out they were dealing with the police. At that time, from what I know, one person almost got arrested. But, you know, as I was walking up there, you know, it all kind of happened so fast. You know, in a span of like five or so minutes, the situation was kind of over with and we kept marching. And so there could have been something 
you know, that happened after I left. But I do know that Jalen was so heavy about making sure that this was a positive protest, you know, a safe one. So, you know, that situation that only lasted five minutes without somebody who really, really wants to see it being a safe and, you know, positive protest, who knows, it could have gotten worse. But, I mean, for me, like I said, I only know that at that time, it was one person who potentially was getting arrested but didn't, you know. So we kept him moving, and eventually I left. And I I didn't think anybody did, did get arrested. But like you said, you know, after the fact, he, he said three people. But I, I didn't see anything. I didn't see three people or hear about that until after the fact. Better that people didn't get arrested, but we just hope everybody was safe and able to protest peacefully. I know that right. in Boston, there was peaceful protesting and then some buildings got set on fire and looted. And that, of course, then casts a bad look on the entire beautiful, peaceful coming together of people to fight for a very important cause. Right. I, I want to speak on what you just said. That's really true. People want to forget that, you know, a lot of these protests are peaceful. I mean, I would probably say 85%, you know, of these protests, or whatever, 90%, you know, of these protests, their intentions are very peaceful. But then, you know, it just, certain different groups just seem to come in and put that little flame or that little spark in somewhere. And, you know, with, with what we're dealing with, what everybody's dealing with, you know, they start to get this rage, you know, from their heart. And it's because everybody has a reason to feel the way they feel. Everybody has a reason to express the way they want, you know. But we do have people who realize that certain people can be egged on a little easier. And so if they want to put the extra flame in and then allow for it just to blow. And it's unfortunate, you know, because like you said, it just it takes away from all the great things that, you know, people and organizations are doing in America. Absolutely. You said on the caption for your beautiful photos, this camera of mine is my weapon and I choose to shoot people for good, not hate. Our voices need to be heard and these photos are my voice for the people. And I think that's so beautiful because you marched peacefully, you protested peacefully, you took these photos to commemorate and share with the world. It's just I'm just blown away by what Jalen organized and what all of you did. We would love for you to tell people where they can see your photographs, where they can find you on social media so that they can support you, and just anything that you think people should know about these protests or a message that you have for listeners. Yeah, yeah my, uh, my message right now really is everybody's going through something. Everybody's something is different in the way they feel. So we, we, we as people can't get upset with each other about how we want to grieve at this point. America in a situation where, you know, people have done so many different things and so many different things haven't worked better than others. It's hard. And so we, we as people have to sit back and say, you know what, I get it, you know, understand. We all are allowed to cry. We all have our differences of what that might be, but we, have, we just have to say, you know what, America, as, you know, as a whole is, is going to get better as far as what's being torn down or this, that, and third, you know. We have to realize sometimes, you know, a life is more important, you know, than this building over here and whatnot, you know, at times. And it, it's hard to say, but, you know, we have to allow people the time to grieve. And whatever that is for them, you know, we have to say, you know what, that's how you want to do it. I'm going to allow you to grieve right now, you know. And so for me, when it comes to my photos, everybody has a purpose. 
You know, not everybody's purpose is to be on that front line. Everybody's purpose isn't, you know, to go out there and help people. You know, your purpose might be, you know, donate. Your purpose might be to put out a post. Your purpose might be just to pray with people, you know. But for me, you know, I sit here and the grandson, you know, of a civil rights leader, it's like, what do I do? You know, it's like I've seen so much of what of what my grandfather's done, and it's like, okay, you know, he had his time. Now, what can I what can I do? And so for me, it's photography. You know, photography's been powerful thing for me. You know, the way I started was doing things in Africa and shooting. And so I've al- I've always had this love for telling you know positive stories and telling stories that you know might be a little scary, but you know, there's a meaning behind it. So for me, in this moment, the way that I help is, you know, is taking photos and allowing people who maybe don't want to see the negative can see the positive and can see the positive grieving and the positive hurt, you know, in a sense. And so at the end of the day, everybody has their purpose. And you can't tell somebody what they should do, what they shouldn't do, as far as how to help. And, you know, if people want to see my photos, you know, they can they can check me out um on Instagram. They can go to two places. Um, they can go to K Austin Photos, K and then A O S T O N photos. Or they can go to my media page and uh, my photos will be up in the next few days. Diverse Media D I V as in Victor R S underscore media. And um, yeah, that's how they can, you know, check out my photos and on my media page, I mean I'll be Putting a pro- I'll probably put out a little more. So, yeah, that's where, you know, if they want to, you know, check out what I've done. And hopefully, you know, in the next few days, you know, I can make it to another protest and do my part, you know, by, you know, speaking my truth, speaking how I feel, and being able to document, you know, the positives. There's nothing wrong with documenting, you know, the hard things, too, because, you know, people have to understand the reality. But at the same time, though, they want to be able to show a balance, a balance of here's, you know, the positive side, but understand that everything's not perfect. And so there's going to be this. But, you know, as America, you know, I, I think we, it's time to figure out, you know, what's that next step. America hears our cries. You know, it's beautiful how many states, how many people have come together. You know, we never have this many. I don't think we've ever had this many protests in years. And so I, I think people are hearing it. I think people hear the cries. And now, you know, after the news dies down, you know, what do we do next? You know, what what's the next step? You know, it can't just be a like, protest when the media is out here. What do we do next? What are the next steps? But I, I, I think we're going to be all right. I think we're going to find a way. It's time. I think, like I said, people have heard the cries. They've, they've heard the cries. So I think we're going to be all right. We're going to find a way. It's not going to be a fast. It's not going to be a fast uh, thing. But, you know, I think we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take some baby steps and, and things, things are going to start. But I think the biggest thing that we can do first outside of protesting, you know, we got to vote. And that's what it is, you know. It, it starts, you know, in our town. starts in our little city. starts in our county. we got to vote. we got to vote, vote, vote. And when we do that, you know, we can bring in the people that we feel like can help make change. And so, yeah, that's pretty much it. Kamat, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and share your story. You mentioned your grandfather. So just for the listeners who don't know, your grandfather was one of the early civil rights leaders and he 
worked closely with Martin Luther King and then went on to become actually the mayor of Atlanta. So the fact that you're speaking to us about your peaceful protest experience in Atlanta, it's just a really powerful story. And we're just so grateful that you shared it with us. Thank you so much. And we're so grateful that you shared your photography with the world. The photos are incredible. No problem at all. I, uh, I really appreciate, you know, you guys taking out the time to, you know, speak to people who have something positive to say because at the end of the day, we just want to uplift. We want to make sure that positivity comes out of it. You know, we, we don't want to go back, you know, 30 years, 400 years, whatever it may be. We don't, we don't want to go back to that. You know, I mean, we just want change. We want positivity. And, you know, you guys being able to talk to people who want that change and, and want it in a positive way, that's a big thing. And so, you know, I appreciate you guys for that. Absolutely. The only way forward is with love and kindness, not with hatred and violence. And we're just so grateful that you shared all of this with us today. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed that interview. I know it was pretty powerful to kind of get that firsthand account of what it was like to be with Jalen at the protests and just so admirable. Now we want to direct you guys to some resources and places you can donate and further educate yourselves. Um, Join Color of Change. It's free and they'll direct you to online campaigns that empower and help fight injustice in Black communities. All you need to do is sign up and they'll literally just email you important petitions to sign and things that you can do. So it's a really, for lack of a better word, convenient way to make a difference without having to seek out a lot of external resources. That being said, you should still be seeking out other ways to help. But it is really great that like I can wake up in the morning and there's petitions in my inbox that I can sign. And I know that no matter what else happens in my day, I've at least done that. So bare minimum, join Color of Change and sign petitions that they send you. It's 100% free. And you can also invite your family and friends to do it too. And then of course, just like read books and listen to podcasts like the one I was just mentioning about Arian Foster that just are from people that have different perspectives and backgrounds than your own, you know, to just broaden your horizons, especially about these issues. Donate to bail funds. I know here in Massachusetts, you can do massbailfund.org. Act Blue has a page where you can donate and they'll split your donation across multiple organizations. So you can kind of sprinkle the love all over. Yeah. And um, we're going to link that too in the description. Friends of mine and family members asked what they could do for me for my birthday, and I sent them the Act Blue page. People who have the ability to donate, donate or support businesses owned by people of color. People are making lists of Black-owned restaurants in different cities that you can order takeout from to support them, businesses online that you can shop for clothes, jewelry, candles, beauty products, home goods, all kinds of things that are owned by Black people. And you are supporting not only small businesses, which has been like a huge thing during coronavirus of supporting, you know, shop local, support small businesses. You're doing that. You're also supporting Black people and helping them. Just do your part to make this world a better place for yourself, 
for your future, for your children, for humanity. At the end of the day, just like what kind of person do you want to be? This is not the time to stand on the sidelines. This is the time to stand with humanity, be on the right side of history. We need to make the world, we need to make the future better than the present. We have to. That's the end of my rant. And that's the end of our show. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening this week. We hope you got something out of it. And we have another pretty cool interview for you guys. Yeah. Bob Kendrick, who is the president of the Negro Leagues Museum, has been a friend of mine for a few years. I am lucky to call him a friend. I've interviewed him for girlatthegame.com a few times. And when we started the podcast, I really wanted to have him on as a guest because I admire him so much. He's taught me so much. And he has some of the most incredible baseball stories. And he is a person who looks at the world and sees everything that's wrong with it, but he still has the most positive outlook. He uplifts everybody he talks to. We're definitely not trying to get back to sports because we want to talk about important issues and sports is really not at the top of the important issues list right now. Talking to Bob Kendrick is kind of the perfect mix of what's going on in the world right now and a little bit of baseball too. So to make sure you guys don't miss that interview, be sure to download and subscribe the Girl at the Game podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Libsyn. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Father, 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 help us send some guidance from above. These people got me, got me questioning.